Pastor Mike Gilbert filling in for Pastor Rick this evening. Uh, If you have your Bibles, would you take them and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, please? Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. And we'll be looking at verses 29 through 36. Luke 21, 29 through 36. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Well, tonight our message is titled, Watch and Pray. And of course, this comes from verse 36 of the passage we just read. Uh, The teaching of Jesus in this section of Luke 21, it takes place in uh, the final days before his arrest and crucifixion. Uh, As the scripture says, he set his face toward Jerusalem to go and to to die there as the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So at this point... Uh, In Luke 19, the triumphal entry is recorded for us. That has already happened. And as Jesus drew near to the city, uh, in in the midst of of all the excitement, all of that short-lived praise of the people in that moment, he he was filled with sorrow, the scripture says. And he began to weep over the city. And he said, as Luke records for us, he says, If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And, of course, he was, he was referring to the scriptures that said uh, through the prophet Daniel about the coming of the Lord uh, as their Messiah. This was the day that, he had, that, that was in their scripture, but they missed it. This was their day. This was the day they were to be watching and waiting expectantly for. But the majority were not. They were preoccupied. They were preoccupied with the cares of this life. They were... They were under the the influence of uh, religious leaders that, as Jesus said, they they taught as commandments the doctrines of men, uh, taught taught as doctrine the commandments of men rather than just faithfully teaching the word of God, which which should have prepared them. On the surface, uh, there was a great deal of rejoicing, a great deal of praising Jesus as the Messiah. They 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 were hailing him as the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But we see Jesus weeping, uh, filled with with sorrow, because he knew that most of them would would turn on him, turn from him. And, uh, of course, at this point, the religious leaders had not accepted him. They had rejected him. They had turned the temple uh, into a den of thieves, as the scripture says. And then there's the nation of Israel. Uh, This is a a land that had uh, a a nation that had lost so many opportunities to, to fulfill the purpose that God had intended for them as a light to the Gentiles. And um, the vast majority of people, even at this moment, uh, missing uh, the day of his visitation. 
weighed down with other interests, perhaps, the cares of life uh, as their primary focus. And so as he looked forward, he knew the judgment that was coming also. And he knew how that their temple would be destroyed. Uh, He knew that uh, many would be killed very, very ruthlessly by the Romans. But he also saw into the future yet to come uh, as well uh, to the tribulation period. Because uh, here in Luke 21, he connects the destruction of the temple and the tribulation period very, very closely uh, as he discussed his second coming with, with his disciples. And so we read in Luke 21, verse 7, he says, says, So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign uh, will there be when these things are about to take place? And from verse 8 to 27, he begins to describe the conditions of the end of of the age, uh, just before the tribulation and the tribulation period itself. And he begins to describe a time of of spiritual deception uh, that will precede it, wars, there would be disturbances in nature, but he, these would be the beginning of sorrows, uh, as, as it says in Mark chapter 13, uh, preceding the tribulation period. And then the Lord begins to teach his disciples about the events of the tribulation itself. But as we come to our text this evening, uh, verses 29 to 36, Jesus begins to direct his disciples' attention back again to that time just before the tribulation period. And uh, it says in verse 28, just before that, uh, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So he begins to speak about the time of the rapture of the church because he references the, the beginning of the tribulation period. And we know that as believers, we're not appointed to wrath. Uh, but to obtain salvation through our, our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. And so the rapture, again, is, is an event, uh, I believe we all understand it, that no one knows the, the day or the hour for when it will co- occur. But it's also an event that the Lord has been insistent about in Scripture that we are to be watching for. Uh, there, are, there are signs of his coming that, that we are to, to, uh, to be alert to and watchful to not, to, to not fall into um, drowsiness spiritually or to become indifferent about the fact that it is very near, uh, even at the door, as the scripture says. And so with that ex- expectation of the Lord in mind, uh, we, we look at what he says uh, to his disciples in light of his soon return and, and tells them to watch and pray. That seems to be at the heart of, of his instruction to his followers both then and, and now to us as we await his return. But, but why is that so important? Well, I believe that we see from Scripture that it, it has everything to do with our faith, uh, with, with spiritual vitality, uh, with fruitfulness in our service to him as we wait for him, but especially with love. And uh, this is about personal relationship with the Lord. And so, uh, you know, he is the bridegroom. He has gone away to prepare a place for us. And uh, he is eager to take us uh, to be with him. And uh, he wants us to be eager and ready to see him. And, uh, and the intensity of that love, it will have a, a, a purifying effect on our lives. It will show up in a, in a persevering faith. It will show up in a, an eager expectation um, that takes him at his word. Uh, it will show up as hope, hope that not only purifies our lives, but, but invigorates our, our service. And so 
And we see these graces in Scripture that are, that are drawn out, these, the faith, hope, and love, the, these graces that we are to, to pursue. To pursue. Um, and when they are flourishing, it's armor for the Christian. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so that's the picture of watchfulness. You don't armor is not loungewear. <laughs> uh, you know, if someone has it on, they mean business. They're they're alert. They're ready to to respond uh, to and to take orders to obey orders. But the times before the Lord's return will not be days of great faith. The Scripture says Jesus. Jesus asked the question uh, in Luke eighteen verse eight. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes. Will he really find faith on the earth? And it, it's not apparent that it would be a time of intense love either, either, because Jesus said, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And so will he find people, a people watching? Will he find his people serving him in the spirit, not losing heart in prayer? Or will he find drowsiness spiritually, uh, people that are overburdened with the cares of this world and, and missed opportunities. And so he addresses that and what he has to say to his disciples. And I, I think it's of particular importance for us to consider, of course, individually as well. And so as an overview of our text, uh, verses 29 to 33, the Lord first gives a parable to kind of help discern the time of his return uh, for the church and uh, the sure fact that it's coming and that it's coming uh, very quickly. And then in verses 34 and 35, the Lord cautions his disciples to be on guard, to be on guard with respect to their own spiritual condition. And in verse 36, he addresses devotion to himself and a persevering faith and it's exhorts them to watch and pray always. And so verse 29, we'll take through 31 again. He says, it says, Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. And so, here the Lord begins to give the disciples a, a sign of his coming. Uh, in the scriptures, the fig tree, it represents the land of Israel. For instance, in Joel chapter 1, verse 7, speaking of the land of Israel, it says, He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. And then another example in Deuteronomy 8, verse 7, uh, I'm sorry, 8, 7, and 8, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees. And uh, so there are, there are others also. But it seems clear that the Lord is speaking here of Israel, and he's making a distinction between the fig tree and all the trees. Uh, and if that is the case, which I believe it is, he's saying watch Israel and watch all the nations. Watch how they're taking shape and uh, constituting themselves in, in preparation for the, the, the prophecies about the end of the age to be fulfilled. But what do we watch them for specifically? Well, he tells us to look for signs of life, for, for foliage. Specifically, in the case of Israel, this has to do with their becoming a nation again in their land. 
And, uh, and then there is the nationalism, the aligning of other, other nations as well. And uh, when all of this is seen as happening, uh, the Lord is teaching them that his return is very near. When you see these things happening, the kingdom of God is near, he says. Some see this to take place uh, at the end of the tribulation period. I have some trouble seeing it that way because the verse just before it, verse 28, says, Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. And so I believe the Lord is referring to the period of time just before the tribulation period, uh, even using the word redemption, which means salvation. And to support this a little bit further, Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And so there's some differing views on that, but uh, the point is, is that (laughs) these things are happening that the Lord is speaking about, and uh, the, the time is very near, very close at hand for the Lord to return for his bride. So then verses 32 and 33. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So how close is it? Well, we don't know the day or the hour, but according to the the words of the Lord, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. And I think that's speaking about the generation that sees Israel as a nation. And the aligning of these other nations, even as they they both are seen today. And so what is a generation? Well, there's some scriptural precedent for that. We won't get into all that. Again, the point is, is that uh, though we don't know the date or the hour, we do know that it's very near. And this is the teaching uh, of the Lord. And um, so it becomes very exciting, I think, very personal for us. uh, As it should be. Because we're seeing these things that the Lord is speaking about, taking place. And, um, and so the Lord adds this emphasis to his statement saying that heaven and earth would, would pass away before his words would. Uh, the, the word of God endures forever. Well, then let's look at verses 34 and 35. He says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. So when we come to this section, the Lord begins to instruct his disciples, to admonish his disciples, to take a, take a close look at their lives, particularly their spiritual condition in light of the, the, the near return of Christ and the things we just talked about. Are they bearing fruit or are they weighed down by all the indulgences and the cares and the the distractions of this life. And so, as we apply this to our lives, uh, he wants us to take heed as well. Uh, And that that means to to pay careful attention, pay careful attention to our own spiritual condition. Also, are we progressing in the faith? Are we making advances spiritually? Are we maturing are, are there hindrances to bearing fruit spiritually that need to be addressed? And so, uh, as I read through this, I sort of dismissed the first two problems that he mentioned there, uh, carousing and drunkenness. Carousing basically means, uh, you know, a headache from 
excessive drinking and, and, uh, and of course, drunkenness is not hard to understand. But, you know, I, I don't believe that the disciples had a, a drinking issue either. But nonetheless, Jesus' words are absolutely a f- fact. And, but I think that what he was getting at goes a little, even deeper than that. And uh, so before we're, you know, tempted to kind of dismiss that, uh, what the Lord has to say on those issues and how they might relate to us personally, I think we should try to understand, well, what what is it, Lord, that you're getting at? And so the issue really, I believe, is the pursuit of things that that overindulge the flesh, things that cause us to 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 stagger spiritually. And uh, it's it's interesting that the word dissipation is used in in place of the word carousing in, in some other translations. And dissipation uh, carries the idea of something that's being spread thin and then eventually vanishes or to be used up wastefully, especially in the pursuit of pleasure. And uh, in physics and science, it means loss of power, loss of energy. And so um, as I evaluate my own life, I believe that description hits a little closer to home. How is my time being used? Uh, what place does seeking the seeking of, of pleasure and entertainment take in comparison to my, my time with the Lord? Uh, am I allowing myself to get spread too thin with, with activities, well-meaning and good as they may be, but <clears throat> nonetheless, distractions? And uh, what is it doing to my spiritual life? There, there are indulgences that we can have that may not be food and drink, but that can be abuse can be harmful to us or to our progress spiritually. And so I think what the Lord is getting at is is maturity. Maturity is what the Lord is seeking. He wants us to be fruitful uh, as we use our time waiting for him. And of course that that hourglass is almost empty. So in Hebrews, the issue of not progressing spiritually is addressed in chapter six. And uh, I'm going to read this Section Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, and then we'll skip down to verses 7 through 9. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And then verse 7, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So he says, let us go on to perfection. Well, that does not mean sinlessness. That would be wonderful, but that's not going to happen in this life. Uh, but it does mean maturity spiritually, which is evidenced by uh, a fruit in the life. Uh, and th- there's, a, there's a danger, I think, uh, in being taught the word, uh, being encouraged in the word through fellowship, uh, just your devotional time, enjoying it, uh, agreeing with it, but not really grabbing hold of it and putting it into action. And uh, I, I think it's easy for us as Christians to, to sometimes fall into this pattern where we can, we can surround ourselves with the Word, we can listen to it, it's always coming in, but it's not really taking root uh, because it either gets overshadowed in its importance because of other priorities or maybe we just don't allow it to get worked into our hearts by reason of use. 
and uh, and just default to old patterns of dealing with our our problems instead of trusting the Lord according to His Word. So we see an expectation then, I think, from the Lord that we put into use those truths that He has blessed us with, like the the earth that drinks in the rain and then is able to bear uh, useful herbs. And he's very serious about this. Because the alternative, as, he, as it shows, is that the ground is burned up or that it becomes unuseful. But how we hear God's word is, is very important, how we hear it. And uh, there is an example of this in Scripture. Uh, it's another parable that, that uh, is given by the Lord, and it's the parable of the soils in Luke chapter 8. And um, I know we know that parable well, but I, I think that we can commonly think of that parable as... as types of people who will receive the gospel or maybe not receive the gospel. And that truth is there, absolutely. But I think there's more in it also for us as as believers. Um, in the parable, uh, Jesus describes four different kinds of, of soils. Uh, one type was the wayside, the soil along the wayside. That's where the, the, the seed, again, representing the word of God, it fell on that soil. It was trampled down. It was eaten by birds. It never took root. Uh, Satan snatched away the the word out of their hearts before it took root. root. Another type of soil was the rocky soil. And uh, that's where the the seed that fell on it, it fell on shallowness. And uh, there was no no moisture in the soil. So when the trial came, it, it, it burned up because it never took root either. But then there was the seed that fell among the thorns. Uh, which sprang up with it and and that choked it. And so Jesus said of the seed among thorns in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. maturity. Uh, And the King James Version uh, translates that perfection. Bring no fruit to maturity. And so here, I think, is the the same issue that Jesus is addressing in our passage this evening. Uh, The cares of this life, the pleasures of this life, the concern over uh, security, wealth, whatever it may be. uh, It's so often those things that grow up with the word uh, and that choke out the growth because of a divided heart, really. Uh, There's that, that honoring of the Lord with our lips, but the heart being far from him because of divided loyalty. And that that lacks integrity with the Lord. And so there can't be uh, real growth and maturity there. But then there was the good soil. And Jesus said of it in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Uh, It's interesting that... uh, The King James Version translates noble as honest. Uh, And this is the opposite of a person with the divided heart. And we we know the heart is deceitful above all things, the scripture says. Uh, So so how can the Lord describe someone as having a good heart? Well, the blood of Christ. Uh, But the person described here, represented by the good soil, is the individual who is honest enough before God. They're honest before God and his word that they, they, they face it, they face it head on, and they submit to it. And, uh, you know, they, they know that they have flaws, many flaws, many areas that lack maturity, but they keep pressing on 
and applying God's word to their lives. They're, they're working it, they're practicing it, cultivating righteousness, living in the grace of God, and, uh, and then enjoying that, that abiding, close relationship with the Lord. They keep God's word and bear fruit with patience, it says. And keep is also translated to hold fast. And patience can be translated endurance. So they, they hold fast God's word with endurance when the testing comes. And uh, the result, the Lord tells us, is a, is a crop a hundredfold. There's much fruit there. And Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So fruitfulness, it comes from time with the Lord and then obedience to him. But there's an interesting promise that the Lord gave at the end of this parable on the soils. He said in, in uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 18, Therefore, take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. So the one that hears God's word, applies it, will be given more understanding, more fruitfulness. And the opposite is true uh, for the one that does not. So looking back at Luke chapter 21, uh, 34 and 35, we read that when the Lord returns for his church, he says it will come unexpectedly. And that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So it will come this way to uh, all who think of this world as their permanent home. But uh, the key to not being overtaken by this is, again, to abide in Christ. John chapter, 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 28 uh, says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So it's making Christ our home. Uh, in other words, close fellowship with the Lord, uh, which really can only be enjoyed when there's submission to him, when there's agreement with him, obedience, spending time with him in his word. And, uh, and the Lord's home is with the believer. And uh, there won't be any shame over a wasted life for the believer that is living in close fellowship with the Lord like that. <clears throat> and then verse 36. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So, in the previous verses, the Lord had given a warning uh, against you know over occupation of our time and our energy priorities given to the things of this world and and uh, you know as if it were our our permanent home. But uh, He warned against being anxious about these things and allowing them to these cares to choke out spiritual growth uh, in our lives. But in this section, uh, we see. Uh, that he does want us to be anxious about, if I, if I can say it that way, his return and the establishment of his kingdom and, and how we can be useful to him as we wait patiently for that to happen. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 31 to 34, he says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So these are all basic needs that the Lord is addressing, food, drink, clothing. Uh, I I think what the Lord is getting at is not that these needs are unnecessary uh, or that planning for them is is wrong, but that uh, the worry and the pursuit of comfort and security as it pertains to this life shouldn't take priority over the pursuit of his kingdom, over looking for his return and seeking him about how we might be able to be useful to him as we wait for him. So it's it's the opposite of being weighed down. It's the opposite of being burdened by the cares of this life. But it's really, it's having those burdens lifted, uh, knowing that God is, he's a good father. He's our heavenly father. He will provide what we need uh, as, as we go along in our service and our devotion to him as the uh, as the primary focus of our lives. So, the watching that the Lord is talking about, it's an active watching. It's, it's service to the Lord. And uh, it's a, a preoccupation, with again, with the advancement of his kingdom uh, above the everyday cares of this life. And it's, it's knowing that he will provide as we serve him and place him first. And uh, there's an example of this, again, in Luke chapter 10. Uh, the Lord was about to come to several cities to minister, but... Uh, before he did, he commissioned 70 disciples to go before him to, to prepare the way of his coming. And there was urgency about this because the time was short. And, uh, of course, when it comes to the, to the gospel, it's always urgent. Today is the day of salvation. But he didn't want his disciples to be burdened down with worry over the, the essentials of life and uh, those things that could weigh them down and slow their progress. And so we have this account in Luke chapter 10, Verses 1 through 9, it says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. And uh, and, at, and at the end he says, The kingdom of God has come near you. So, he's, so he sends them out. And uh, I think we see in this account that... Uh, watchfulness and prayerfulness in in action in our service and that's i think emphasized in the lives of these 70 workers as they they go out to prepare the way of the lord's coming they were they were unhindered by the cares of this life but no doubt they had to be prayerful about them Um, they were dependent on the lord the lord had told them that the work would be very extensive he told them that the harvest truly is great but there would be few laborers and so to pray for laborers and uh, they were lambs among wolves. And so, of course, this reminds us of those uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, spiritual deception. Um, and so their focus had to be intently on the leading of the Lord and on the provision of the Lord. And their ministry was very fruitful as a result. But what is, I think, encouraging, very encouraging about this passage is that when the Lord sent them out, it says that they went out before his face. They went out, they were, they were pared down uh, just to complete 
place of complete dependence upon the Lord, but they didn't go anywhere that was not before his face. It was not under his watchful care. And uh, I think that this ought to give us such confidence in life that whatever God has called us to, he is watching over every detail. He's making provision and he's praying for us also. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So, as we consider a little bit more the Lord's uh, words to watch and pray uh, in light of his return, we find that uh, two, the, the two really are not to be separated. We can't effectively do one without the other. Watching is, is working and it's carefully serving the Lord. It's, it's enduring the, those struggles of our faith until he returns. But prayer, prayer is critical. It's critical for our service to the Lord because it, it accesses his strength um, you know, we pray according to the Lord's will. It aligns our our service and our action with the will of God. It strengthens our faith and uh, keeps us focused and in, in fellowship with God. And so, our relationship to Christ remains is very vi- it's just vitally important to Him, and, and so it should be to us also. But for prayer to be effective, and I think this is very important, there has to be obedience, and that's where this this watching and our devotion to the Lord and our service to Him, I think, comes in. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 says, And whatever we ask from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are, I'm sorry, and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And so we understand from that that where there's a, a breakdown in obedience, uh, there is a breakdown in effective prayer, and so the, and the result is faith is weakened. And so I think this is why this, this issue is so critically important to the Lord uh, as, he, as he exhorts us, uh, his people, in this uh, just delusional and, and very self-indulgent culture to stay focused, to be much in prayer, constantly in, a, in an attitude of prayer, and then to be watchful, to be obedient. Because it's so important for the, the strengthening of our faith in these times. And again, like he said, when, when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? And um, so, love. The issue, I think, it really comes down to love. Uh, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And uh, this is strong faith. It's fellowship with God. And and uh, can't be enjoyed any other way than through submission to him and uh, just dependence upon the power of his spirit. So thinking about this, this watchfulness and prayerfulness, there are two characters here also in the Gospel of Luke that um, I think give us just a beautiful picture of that, what expectant, active faith looks like, that that. that expecting faith that is serving, but is looking and watching for the Lord, watching and praying in anticipation of the Lord's coming. And um, we're going to paraphrase much of it just for the sake of time, but if you want to flip over, it's in Luke chapter 2, and there's two individuals there, Simeon and Anna. Uh, these uh, Simeon and Anna were in the temple at the time when, when Jesus, as a child, uh, was brought to the temple to be uh, presented to the Lord. And uh, now this this event was spoken of by Malachi the prophet. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 says, 
Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But it's interesting to think that, you know, how few people recognized his coming, but not these two. They, they, they got it. And uh, it was just an, any other day for everybody else. But the significance of that, this event, it wasn't missed by them. And um, so Simeon, as we look at this man first, here's a man whose name means hearing. Uh, and uh, he was a, the scripture says that he was a just and a devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel, and, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he was just, meaning he was, he was holy. He, it says that he was devout, meaning that he lived a careful and a watchful life waiting on the Lord. But so importantly, uh, the Holy Spirit's anointing was upon him. And, so, and it says in Luke chapter 2, 26 and 27, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And so he had an ear to hear and to obey God's word, and he didn't miss the Lord when he came to his temple that day. And, uh, you know, it's the, it's the role of the Holy Spirit to magnify the Lord uh, and, and, and how evident it is how he did that for Simeon. Just, you know, an otherwise obscure figure in the Bible, but has left us such a a good example of this kind of watching, uh, persevering faith, just a spirit-led life that's not taken by surprise, It's not ashamed at the Lord's coming. Um, but what motivated this watchfulness and this waiting? I, I believe it was love. It was love for the Lord. And that was cultivated through a life of just submitting to God, to me, submitting to His Word, closeness to the Lord in prayer, and expectant faith. And so we have in Simeon, I believe, the character of one who is, uh, watches for the Lord, and that's holiness of life, separation from just the superficiality and the materialism of the culture, a carefulness of life and his service to the Lord. There's a thirsting for God that we see in this man. And then the power of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and then, of course, just that patient endurance, waiting on the Lord. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 35 and 37 says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. So then Anna, the the second figure that we encounter, just another example of just this very uh, prayerful devoted life that just deeply loved the Lord, says that she was 84 years old uh, and was a a widow, I'm sorry, a widow of of about 84 years, uh, meaning that she very likely could have been over 100 years old. But it says of her in Luke chapter 2, verse 37 and 38, it mentions that, it says of her, who did not depart from the temple, who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And then in verse 38, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And so here also this this uh, servant of the Lord uh, through her uh, just this 
life that she, this, the purity and the holiness of her life and her, just her separation from those things uh, voluntarily, <clears throat> not necessarily things that were sinful, but just voluntarily just had chosen to live very near to God and to at the exclusion of some other things that would detract from that. Just finding that 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 closeness and that nearness to God was more rewarding and uh, was obviously just, you know, prompted by the Holy Spirit to come in that very instant that Jesus came to the temple. And so um, what I think is particularly noteworthy is that she recognized him. Not only did she come at that very instance, but, but she recognized him, not ever seeing him before. And uh, there's no other way that this could have happened than, than the revealing uh, of the Lord to her by the, by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. So, as we um, prepare to close this evening, there's another passage of Scripture that I think will be helpful for us to look at uh, as we consider the Lord's just, it's a very no-nonsense stance that He takes uh, in the Scriptures about this issue of watching and of being ready for His return. So, uh, again, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. You know, some of our best lessons, I think, can come from uh, <laughs> from the mistakes and the correction that others uh, receive and that hopefully helps keep us out of trouble or, or helps us out if we find ourselves in the same difficulty. And I think that uh, we have that uh, this evening as we look at the Lord's words to the church at Sardis. So that's the Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1 through 6 there. But before we get to that, Ancient Sardis, uh, before the time of the church uh, that was there, was a very wealthy, a very prosperous city. Uh, the city apparently was also known for having uh, very strong walls, but uh, there was overconfidence in that. And uh, their walls led to their downfall on two different occasions, interestingly enough, due to their not keeping watch uh, while the invading armies were able to scale the walls and to, to invade the city. And so uh, by the time of the church, though, uh, where the, that was there, which the Lord addressed, the city was, was idolatrous, the city was immoral, it was just a very immoral culture, uh, undoubtedly exerting that pressure on the church. But the church uh, really wasn't having much fruit, it wasn't really, there wasn't much influence there in Sardis. They were working, they were active, but something very critical was missing and so the Lord comes to them uh, because he loves them and because uh, what he noticed in, in them and uh, otherwise undetected, uh, but was was a very dangerous condition that he, that he saw and needed to correct uh, that would be deadly to their faith. And so Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, 
I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, again, the church at Sardis, it was apparently a a very busy, active church. Uh, It was well known. It had a name. It said it was a reputation there and was considered very much alive because of all of that activity. But the Lord saw beyond all of it. And he came looking for for fruit, for spiritual fruit, lasting fruit, uh, love, and saw that it was it was missing in their service. It was missing in their worship. And so the Lord said uh, that he had not found their works perfect before God, meaning that they were, again, that's that, that idea of not coming forth to maturity, to fruitfulness. Uh, they were unfulfilled works, meaning that they didn't accomplish what, what he wanted them to and, and just lacked that spiritual vitality. And so Jesus uh, makes mention of some who had not defiled themselves. And, so, and because of that, it seems like that it's very likely that the influence of the city had had done that to others, and maybe the majority uh, had gotten into into the, the people within the church. They were corrupted, probably uh, the, the, just the carousing, the materialism, the, the cares of life, uh, very similar to what the Lord had addressed in Luke twenty one. And so He warns them of His soon return and the danger that they were in if they were not ready. But the Lord's corrections, uh, they, they always come with encouragement. They always come with, uh, you know, the encouragement to move forward and with just that strong affirmation that he would keep them to the end. And so as we look at what he said, we notice that there are a few things that I think are, are just very important as we consider our own hearts uh, while we wait for the Lord's return. Maybe finding ourselves perhaps weighed down uh, by cares of this world, maybe maybe lost focus on the fact that the Lord is returning soon, and uh, just missing that, that love and that fruitfulness in our service to the Lord. Well, the first thing he says is to be watchful, to be watchful, uh, to be alert, to be on guard, to make adjustments where necessary, but to get busy serving again, but this time in the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. And then he says to strengthen the things that remain. There was still faith there, but it needed, it needed strengthening through prayer and obedience to the Lord. And so in these first two, we have that watching and, and praying. But then he said, remember how you heard. And that comes up again, just as it did in the parable of the soils. Remember how they received. Not, it wasn't so much what they received. They, they had the doctrine. They, they didn't disagree with the doctrine, but it was how they received it. And, uh, and he makes that distinction. And, um, and so, uh, and then the, the next thing that he said was to hold fast and to repent. And that's that, that patient endurance in these things, in, in a changed course. But then what is so critical to all of this is how Jesus addresses the church in the beginning. Uh, he came to them and he addressed them, he addressed himself as as the one who had the solution to their greatest need. And he identified that need and how he identified himself to the church. He said, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God. 
And so what he meant by that was the fullness of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's their greatest need. And their lack of fruitfulness, it could be traced back to their needing just to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Without him, we can do nothing. And so as we consider these things tonight, uh, perhaps in our own hearts, may we be encouraged, uh, may we be excited in our faith as we know that the Lord is returning soon, and may we be eager to be filled with his Spirit, uh, just as he is eager to give him, and may we be watchful, may we be prayerful, may we ask him how we can be useful to him uh, in these dark days, unburdened by the cares of life, just allowing him to lift those and to care for us, knowing that he will, because he loves us so much and he cares for our every need. So we'll close with this verse. It's from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we love you. We do just are so grateful that you have given us your word, Lord, that you have given us your spirit, that you are with us. Lord, we look forward to the day that you do return. And uh, Lord, that uh, our faith becomes sight. And so, Lord, we uh, ask that you would give us opportunity this week as we go forth. And uh, Lord, that you would protect us as we do. We pray that you would be glorified and magnified in our lives. We ask you to get us all home safely this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.